welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the minds and brands of successful leaders and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. This show is about connecting and creating conversations that matter building your powers of influence, persuasion, and ultimately communication. We explore the latest evidence-based findings in neuromarketing, consumer behavior, business techniques, tips, trends, and tricks. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business healthy. To continue eavesdropping and to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website, Brandstorm. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business where we are very time conscious and because I'm so time conscious I thought hmm, who could our next guest be? She's the founder and CEO of Time Stylers. She's a speaker, she's a media commentator. She was Koshy's business builder time management expert and she's a best-selling author of three business books all about time. She's a great friend of the show. Welcome back Kate Christie. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. I love coming on your show. See, well, I love having you. So there, it's a win-win. <laughs> now, <laughs> so I must won before we even started. I know, I oh, know, I love that. Now, I must admit, when I introduced you, and it was a time management expert, which was the technical term, you've actually moved on from that. And I like the fact that you're now calling yourself a time investment expert. Now, tell me why the move from management to investment. Well, look, I, I guess I played it safe for a little while because time management is a concept that everyone understands and is familiar with. But the more work I did in this space and the more clients I worked with, it really started to rankle with me in terms of it's such a negative term and it, it people sort of um, bash themselves up and say, oh, you know, my time management is terrible. And, and I, I was really wanting to change mindset for people to understand that time is not something you need to manage. Time is something that you need to invest and you should be investing your time the way you invest your money with the greatest possible um, intent for the greatest possible return. You know, we just don't go and, and throw, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars away. So we invest that money and let's start thinking about our time the same way. Yeah, I, look, I totally agree. I thought it was really clever and it got me thinking about terms like the time economy and, and actually using the word time as you would cash or, or anything that's, that's financial Absolutely. Uh, and actually giving it the same level because, you know, some of those sayings that we hear, uh, you know, about uh, time is money and things like that, so it's there. So it's just bringing it back to the forefront of an awareness of how, how important time is because it's one thing that you don't get back. That's right. It's, it's just about being making very conscious decisions and very conscious choices around where you invest the time you have. You know, we all have the same amount of hours. Um, however, those who invest wisely and make deliberate choices will do better. And it's very easy to shift your consciousness in that way. So I think just 
um, by moving away from the term time management and really coining it as time investment. I think that just helps people immediately start thinking about their time a little bit differently. Yeah, and being in more and being responsible for their time. And I don't know about you, you probably get this because everyone wants to talk to you about time. But I, I hear it a lot, people saying, oh, they wasted my time and I went and met with them, they're tyre kickers and they're this. And I'm saying, hang on, you can't blame them for wasting your time. You've got to take responsibility of that. So you've A, got to increase your awareness of it, B, put some strategies in place to, to shut it down very quickly and make Maybe some scripts around, I'm out of here or something, but you've got to be responsible for your time. Is that something that you come across? Yes, and, and it's very much about setting boundaries and understanding what you're going to say yes to, what you're going to say no to, and having very, very clear boundaries. I think in small business, we're often approached and someone will say, can I have five minutes of your time? Or can you talk me through this? Or you're very good at this. Can I have your time? And you need to consider those requests carefully. Um, it's around thinking to yourself, well, is this a genuine win-win? Is this something I really want to do? Because every time you say yes to those sorts of requests, basically you're saying no to yourself or something that you want to do. So you have to be really clear that those sorts of time investments are something that you want to do. So, you know, I, I, I really dislike those those terms around, you know, killing time or wasting time or mm. stealing my time or losing time. You, you are in control. You are in the driver's seat. This is your life. You really need to take control of the agenda. I like it. I like it. Now, this new book, Smart Time Investment for Business, 128 Ways the Best in Business Use Their Time. Uh, my curious mind, Kate Christie, had to ask, well, how come 128? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know what? I basically kept writing whilst I, I kept thinking of lots and lots of little strategies. And since I went to print, I've been thinking of more. So we know we may have you know, version two and version three. But I, I just wanted to give my readers in the business and the small business and medium enterprise space as much of my IP as I could possibly give. So I didn't want to stop without and, and leave anything on the table. I really wanted my readers to walk away with as many possible strategies as they could have. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a good one. Now, out of the 128, what's your favourite? Oh, look, one of the latter ones, I think it's about strategy 120 off the top of my head. I should have my book in front of no, me. That's all right. I've, I've got it here. I've got it here. Okay. So it's the strategy me. on multitasking. Yeah, it's 120. And Trust what oh, you know. There you go. Trust there what you, go. you know. That just shows how many times I've proofread that book. Um, and the, the strategy basically is that, you know, you need to stop multitasking. And I, I mean in a work business sense. Uh, multitasking is basically the uh, decision to try and do more than one thing at a time with the intention that you're going to actually get more done. And it's the complete and utter reverse of that. When we multitask, which can be as simple as sitting at your computer doing some work and the emails are flashing in the corner, or it could be talking to a customer while the phone's vibrating in your pocket, or it could be out and about uh, driving your car to your next job and the phone's going incessantly or you're trying to 
have a telephone call whilst driving. All of those are examples of multitasking. And when we multitask, our productivity actually goes down by 40%. Mm. Now, that's a killer. That's 10 IQ points. So you, you've lost even before you've started. So that's probably one of my most favourite uh, strategies, and I think it's very impactful and very it's an easy one for people to actually understand and go away and implement and just to say, look, I'm just going to batch my time. I'm going to focus on this one task for the next 30 minutes without distraction, and it is amazing how much you actually get done. Yeah, it sure, sure does. Uh, does it annoy you as much as it annoys me when I see jobs being advertised and they list as a requirement that you must be able to multitask? Look, I think it's hilarious, yeah. and I and I often I often think, gosh, if I was if I if it wasn't for the fact that I was running my own business, I'd apply for that job, and on top of my CV, I'd have in bold, big capital letters, "I do not multitask," um, because multitasking does not work. I, I think from the home front, you know, if you can throw on the spaghetti bolognese whilst you're vacuuming the floor and feeding the pets and throwing the kids in the bath and um, ordering, you know, next week's online shopping, then knock yourself out because they're all kind of low, um, low value tasks from the perspective of they're important things, but they don't require your best brain. That's uh, right, so from yeah. a multitasking perspective, you know, at home, absolutely. But tasks which require your best brain, you just cannot multitask them. No, exactly. Now, my favourite one, because I thought if I ask you for your favourite, it's only fair that I thought you might ask me for mine. And I thought, well, you know what? I need to pick one because 128. Number five. Now, can you remember off the top of your head? I'm teasing Number you now. Number five. Can I'm you remember? thinking that somewhere <laughs> around setting audacious goals. But oh, close, close. Don't be busy. Don't be busy. <laughs> Don't be busy. Now, I've decided every year I have a bit of a, a mantra or, you know, what's my word of the year or what's my uh, term that I'm going to use for this year. So mm, this I year... Do, that too. do you? Okay, great. It's got to just sort of, sort of just shifts my focus or sharpens my focus. And mine was don't be busy because everyone always says to me, oh, you're so busy, you're always so busy. And I thought to myself, no, I'm going to say I'm not busy. And it's it's been hilarious, the response. People go, oh, Jackie, thanks so much for taking the call I know how busy you are I go no I'm not busy and they go yeah must no I'm really not busy and their reaction's been really funny uh, and it's them wanting to get off the phone but saying I know you're busy I'll let you go no no I've got as much time as you need so obviously you need to go <laughs> well it, it totally changes the conversation doesn't yeah, it and it I does. say this you know that often when you meet someone it's like how are you oh I'm, I'm so busy oh my god I'm so busy too and then you have this really negative conversation about how busy you are and it seems to have acquired a bit of a social status and it's not a badge of honour. So no. when people ask you how you are, say, I'm great, I'm terrific, I'm productive, I'm getting through heat, um, because it, it, it does change the conversation. Yeah, and it also made me realise uh, that I was missing opportunities because people said, oh, I didn't bother you with that because I know how busy you are. I didn't think you'd have that it would interest you or that you'd have time for it. And I thought to myself, well, let me make that choice, not you. Yeah, what a shame. What, what a, a shame. shame. And there was some really good stuff that I was missing out on and I went, right, <laughs> that's it. I am not busy. I am not busy. I've got time for everything. But that then says to me, which has been a really good mindset shift for me to say, I'm getting better at saying no to things. So, no, I'm not busy. Would you want to? No, but I don't want to do that. 
or I choose not to do that. I'm not busy. I've got time to do it, but I'm choosing not to do it. So you actually then get better saying, no, but you're right. The minute you say busy, you may as well have, I'm so unproductive and stupid on your forehead, I think. Absolutely. And no one says that. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm so unproductive. That's the last thing that your listeners are going to be saying to their clients. So it's just, again, it's just a simple, little simple strategy, but just shifting the dialogue. Yeah, I know. And I used to say I'm busy, but I'm good busy. But I'm going, no, I'm not even going to go there now. So number five, well done. That's really great. Now, the other bit about your book that I really enjoyed was the stories and the... I always love a story. But the testimonials in your book. Now, when you went to the UK last year, I know you were a keynote in London, uh, which was very exciting. And I know that you hooked up with some really cool business people. And one in particular that I, I sort of got attracted to in the book, you know how when you read things, you think, oh, I really like to actually meet this person was the Starling Bank lady, Anne Bowden. Tell me about her. Oh, look, she was brilliant. Look, what I I did was, knowing that I was going to London, I basically reached out to a whole suite of incredible business owners who are household names and just said, look, I'm coming. I'd love to interview you for a book. And I, I, about one in three came back and said, yeah, I'd love to be interviewed, which I just thought terrific. And she was, was one. She uh, started a bank, as and, you do. Yeah, as you do. Uh, wow. So she was a, a career banker. She felt the banking was broken. She wanted to fix it. She wanted a new solution. She wanted to start from scratch, and she wanted to do it. So she did it. And she's delivered um, England's only on, fully online bank, I went to their offices in London, um, incredible open space. She is a dynamic woman, a very uh, agile, young, engaged team. Um, they have a, a huge demographic of people using the portal. They sort of went into it thinking that there was going to be a specific demographic, but no. Um, and, they've, and they've basically created a, a bank and she funded it for a number of, you know, two years on her own and then she went knocking on doors and got investment and um, and she, she's absolutely inspiring. And she has, uh, she, she's not, she doesn't have children. She's in her 50s and, and her business is her life, but she's, you know, unashamed about that in terms of, you know, this is the life I love. And, and yet having said that, it wasn't until she was in her 40s or late 40s that she felt... It appropriate for her to get a cleaner, for example, because she sort of had been brought up that, you know, you, you, you have to clean your own home. And here she was, this phenomenally successful woman, running and owning a bank, and yet she was still doing all of the, the sort of the household chores. And, and I just had a wonderful conversation with her around that concept of giving yourself permission to outsource giving yourself permission to pay for people to help you so that you can focus on the things you love. And, um, you know, she was absolutely terrific. Oh, look, that was certainly inspiring. Uh, Kate Christie, I value your time. Thank you very much. You've been very generous with it. Your new book, Smart Time, Smart Time Investment for Business, 128 Ways the best in business use their time and certainly the best in business. So congratulations. I like the book. I like its little workbook that you've got under each tip, write down three ways you could use this strategy. Uh, And that's sort of really, really helpful with that. So congratulations and thanks as always for your time. What's uh, what's on for you this year? Are you still doing some lots of travelling? 
Yes, I've got a lot of travel on this year. I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements across various sort of industry events and uh, working with uh, small business, um, small to medium enterprise, big business. So lots, lots on the agenda this year, but I am not busy. I am fantastic. <laughs> You're highly productive and efficient. <laughs> I love Thank it. you for having me. Thank you for making the time. Really appreciate it. Kate, Christie. I look forward to our next encounter. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Now, I'm very honoured our next guest is an Associate Professor of Strategic Communications at the University of Louisville in the US. She is visiting here uh, in Australia and she calls it a sabbatical. I'm going to ask her about that because I don't think she's having a sabbatical. I think she's actually working really hard. <laughs> she's actively involved in researching in public relations, reputation management, crisis communications and the ever-popular topic of social media. I'd like to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Karen Freeberg. Hi, Karen. Welcome to Australia and welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thank you so much, Jackie. I'm really honoured to be here and it's been absolutely wonderful being here in Australia. Oh, well, that's good. I know you're up in uh, Queensland at the moment working at the University of the Sunshine Coast with a friend of the program, Dr. Karen Sutherland. Uh, I'm down here in Melbourne. So have you got any plans to visit other parts of Australia while you're here? I am, yeah. Actually, actually I'm going to be um, out in Australia for about a month. And so I'm going to be spending most of my time up here at the um, University of the Sunshine Coast. I am actually going to be making my way down to Melbourne for a couple of days for an industry talk, actually, with Adobe. And so um, I'm going to be, you know, also spending some time in Brisbane. So it's going to be a busy, but I think very rewarding, you know, next few weeks. Great. Well, I'll uh, when we finish the interview, I'll send you some notes about where to visit in Melbourne. Uh, it's very oh, dif- very different from the Sunshine Coast, but they're uh, <laughs> they're both beautiful places to visit. So I'm glad that you're having a good time in in our summer here. Now let's mm-hmm. talk about this word sabbatical. You mm-hmm. you seem to be working really hard. Why are you here? What are you doing? Well, yeah, so uh, my sabbatical every in the States, every seven years, we're able to take either a year or a term off from teaching to do a research project, to teach abroad, do research. And when I was talking to um, my head of uh, my department about where I wanted to go, um, I said there's no question in my mind that I would want to work with the best and learn from the best. And Karen Sutherland and I, because of social media, uh, have really fostered a very, you know, great partnership and friendship over the years. Uh, We first met actually in Melbourne in 2012 at a PR conference. And ever since then, we've stayed in touch. And from, from afar, I've been just truly amazed with the work and just innovativeness Karen has shown, you know, with the program up here at um, the University of the Sunshine Coast. Uh, she's doing things in social media that um, we just don't have um, currently right now in the U.S. So um, I reached out to Karen about a year and a half ago and I said, look, I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to collaborate on research and, you know, see what we can do to kind of form- formulate a partnership. And um, the rest is history. And so, um, you know, I've been here for a week now and we've already kind of plotted plans to save the world and <laughs> work on research projects, um, collaborate and discuss things that, you know, are kind of moving in the curriculum and social media. So it's been a really exciting, you know, week so far, and we already have a few other plans for more collaborative projects in the work. So um, 
it's just been really eye-opening and just really such a great learning and growing experience so far. Yeah, it's nice to see uh, Australia doing some groundbreaking uh, mm-hmm. work and particularly in the field of social media now, which is such an important uh, yeah. platform for business now. It's actually become mm-hmm. a critical part of the, the formula. So uh, why is there not many uh, educational facilities, particularly universities, that offer social media training? Well, it's, it's, it's surprising still. And, and, I mean, I think that there are, you know, programs are kind of getting the message um, that industry are, you know, they're looking for professionals who are trained not only in the different platforms, but they know how to use the platforms. So in the States, there are specific classes that are offered at universities, and there are some degree programs. But what I, I think that you, you mentioned that I think Australia is leading the way, especially with what Karen is doing at the University of Sunshine Coast, is she's not only giving the students a range of classes, but they're going to be launching um, their own social media undergraduate program actually this this week, this Friday, and looking at the classes that are offered and then even with what the students will be walking away from after graduation is unlike anything that, I mean, I've seen in terms of the rigorous and also the level of experiential learning. So it's it's quite impressive. So I think that programs are getting the message that they need to offer classes, more programs, but Mm -hmm. I think it's professors like Karen who are leading the charge in that. So um, we've been talking about different ways we could kind of partner together um, further, you know, because I think, you know, at the University of Louisville, we have courses in um, social media. We do not have a degree program um, as of right now, but um, learning from the best like Karen is definitely um, one of the things that I, I definitely am here to learn and see what we can do to kind of collaborate further. That's wonderful. Now, social media seems to be changing every second. We we get told about algorithms changing and no one can keep up to date with what uh, what their platforms are doing. Uh, in your view, Karen, what uh, how does social media now, what role is it playing from a business perspective? That's a really great question, Jackie. Um, I, I think that social media, what's great about it is it is really integrated in all aspects of business. And I'm just thinking not just from a PR marketing perspective, but social media has a huge play internally as well. When you think of how people are looking at organizations now, it's not necessarily like they're going to be looking at a spokesperson for hearing, you know, the news or they're going to not necessarily look to the CEO perhaps as a trustworthy source. They may be looking internally, you know, with the employees and how can employees advocate and share the story of the business, and they can do that through social media. Um, The other thing, too, I think that social media also plays a part is both in great, you know, positive circumstances for campaigns, for storytelling, Um, but social media can also be a place where it can be used in handling crisis communications. It is kind of the first place that people look to if there's an emergency or crisis situation, they want to know what's going on. So it's also a channel of group of platforms that really help um, tell the story for the business um, in a way that is in real time, it's multi-platform, multi-disciplinary, you know, and it's really a place where you know people can basically formulate communities and establish relationships. So it's, it's, I think for today, if a business is not actively engaged on social media, on the various platforms, they're, they're missing a lot. They're, they're missing missed opportunities, missed um, connections, and 
I know I, I've told my students, I've told my other colleagues, like I, I know personally as a professor, I would not be where I'm at without the power of social media. And really, social media has brought me out here to Australia. So um, social media has a crucial part in what businesses um, have to do today. It's, it's a necessary component to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that it's not just about uh, the social media, what I had for breakfast or where I'm going, but it's actually a a vital communication channel. And that's actually how this interview happened was I follow Karen. She's been on the show before and I follow her on LinkedIn. I saw her post that you'd arrived on LinkedIn and I went, oh, that looks interesting. I sent Karen a message via LinkedIn. Would would you like to be on the show? It was set up and here we are. And that was all through social media. And so it's a wonderful communication platform. I use a lot for research as well. If Mm -hmm. I'm going to meet a client or I've got a guest coming on the show and I'm wanting to do some background research, my first point of port of call is is LinkedIn or any social media. Uh, I had an interview earlier and um, I just looked at their Instagram account and I based my questions on what they'd put on their Instagram account. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. amazing the information that you can get from that. Karen, have, have you got a favourite platform? Ooh, that, that's tough. I, I, <laughs> I do like all of the platforms. Um, but I would actually say Twitter. And I know Karen, like when I talked to Karen, um, she says, well, Twitter... Um, compared to some of the other platforms, is not as popular um, down here in Australia. And um, I know even in the States, you know, Facebook still reigns king. And then, of course, Instagram is popular. But I, I like Twitter because of the relationship aspect. And I've actually had more luck with, you know, making connections and getting professional opportunities from Twitter than anywhere else. It's, it's, I kind of view people, like my connections and my community on Twitter is like my Rolodex where I'm able to make virtual connections. I'm able to introduce people and then reach out to someone that I might not necessarily know or have met in person and just say, hey, I'm, you know, I'd love to connect. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about what you're doing. And it's opened up waves of opportunities. So I kind of view Twitter as kind of one of my fundamental channels um, to share what I'm doing, um, create content, share content. And it has been a one of my main platforms that I've used um, along with Facebook and Instagram um, and LinkedIn um, to share my story about what I'm doing on my sabbatical. It's a great place to be able to share your story and be able to create that community around it. So um, it's also been the major platform that I've used in all the classes that I teach in social media back in the U.S. Right, yes, it's interesting. And so I was going to ask you about the cultural differences from Australia versus the U.S. versus the rest of the world, which platform. I know Twitter is, is really big in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and maybe your current president has, has helped them with their, with their share price because he's always on it. So I think he's yep. probably given it a bit of a, a resurgence uh, from mm-hmm. that perspective. In Australia, you, you're right, it's, it, it's, uh, it's quite an exclusive platform. Certain mm-hmm. people use that and then nothing else where some uh, use a lot. I'm finding personally Instagram is at my at the moment my uh, favourite uh, platform. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, it's different. So how, so what other differences are there, say, between Australia and the US or the rest of the world in your experience? Well, what I, I would say too, like the one thing that I have noticed, I mean, I really honestly haven't seen too much difference. You know, I do feel like what's been really impressive is everyone that I've talked to out here understands is not only understanding the platforms that are necessary, but how you use it mm. and the importance of telling your story and relationship management. So there's actually been a lot more similarities between the two countries that I've seen. Um, I would say the big thing that I think is really great about Australia is that um, I think there's 
the difference of balance. And what I mean by balance is just how and why social, like where social media plays a part in our daily lives, where um, I actually was talking with Karen um, actually about another project, um, and we were basically discussing like there's this kind of in the U.S. this hustle culture where you have to be plugged in 24-7. And that, you know, results in, you know, kind of a burnout mentality, whereas out here in the U.S., like social media, um, I mean, out here in um, Australia, like, I found that social media has a place. People are sharing content, they're communicating, they're engaging, but it's not like to the point where you're plugged in 100% of the time, which I think is a very healthy relationship with technology. And so that's been something that I've kind of taken away from the few days that I've been here. So that would probably be the biggest. It's, there's In terms of what people, like how and why people are using technology, but again, kind of like the difference is like the role in which the social media plays in our day-to-day activities. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd ask uh, the other Karen. I'm feeling out of it because I'm not called Karen, but <laughs> Karen and social media. But um, ask the other Karen because I would disagree to a point to that. I think the Sunshine Coast has a much more uh, holiday mentality. They're a bit more laid back. They're Queenslanders. They're a bit slower, but no one from Queensland listens to this. So they're, you know, it's a little bit more laid back. It's, I'm joking. Uh, a little bit more laid back where I find in Melbourne and in Sydney that everyone is absolutely attached to their devices. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm certainly far from an expert to, to give a view. That's just a little observation. But check with Karen Sutherland on okay. that on that observation because that is interesting now i noticed also that you were a, a, a huge sweet ambassador yeah. and uh and i've i've always been hearing about hootsuite which is um uh for those that don't know what it is and please correct me karen if i'm wrong mm-hmm. is it's a it's effectively a, a channel whereby you can manage all your social media platforms in in That's one right. in one go yeah but I've heard, I don't know if they're rumours or if it's true or not, that the platforms like Facebook and things will penalise you if you are using Hootsuite because they're wanting you to pay, to post native content. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not? What's the, what's the real uh, story behind that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, yeah, I've been a Hootsuite ambassador um, for about a year and a half now. Um, but I've used, like, Hootsuite has a great program, you know, for universities to be able to give access to students who want to learn their platform. But also they actually have, like, lessons and courses to teach the students about social media management. So I've been using um, their platform and resources in my classes for the last now six years. Oh, excuse me. And so um, it's not just Facebook that is um, basically penalizing, you know, different uh, platforms, you know, like third parties, but it's, it's Twitter, too. Twitter has actually, um, you know, impacted a couple of brands um, for, like, there's certain tools, like, I think um, there's a couple that are just focusing on follow and unfollow um, measures, and so they've actually, you know, closed their access to their API. This is Twitter. And so what you are seeing is that a lot of brands and like Facebook, Twitter, and some of these other platforms, they are kind of closing off some of their access. Um, and so I would say with um, Hootsuite, I'd have to do a little bit more um, investigating to see the details. But I know that um, there have been kind of like things that have come up, you know, with the changes in the algorithm and changes in the platform. But what's been great about what Hootsuite and some of these other programs have done is they've let their customers know, saying, hey, here's what's going on. And this is kind of also an example of the difference of how social media is different from, let's say, owned media like a website or blog, and it's really kind of like rented space. Like it's a, 
basically renting an apartment. You have a place on each of these platforms. You have access to a point. But if, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, you know, want to change the game a little bit, they can because it's their platform. So it's you can't always rely that things will always stay the same. So you just kind of have to – it's kind of like you can be comfortable to a certain point, but always keep your eyes open and say, okay, what could change? What could basically transform our business and completely impact it for our audiences? And so that's the other thing that – um, businesses have to be aware of is that nothing is always going to be staying the same. You know, if, I mean, the platforms, if they want, they can completely close access to these tools, but they haven't yet. So, um, but that's kind of this current state that we have right now with that situation. That's a perfect way to finish, to keep our eyes open. I think that's really great advice, particularly for social media, that we are renting that space. We don't own mm-hmm. it. And it's funny, sometimes I tell people that and they go, really, what, Facebook actually owns my photos? Yeah, you, yeah, they do. The minute you post it up there, they, they own it. Uh, you're just renting yeah. that space. And and so it's good to, to be aware of that. And, and as you said, eyes wide open. I think that's really great mm-hmm. advice. Dr. Karen Freeberg, please enjoy. I know you will enjoy the rest of your time down under where we're uh, very privileged to have you here and it was an honour to chat with you and I've really enjoyed our conversation and stay tuned. I expect a note from me about your visit to Melbourne. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, um, Jackie, for the opportunity and again, the warm welcome. It has been, it's been an honour and privilege to be out here in Australia. Yeah, well, it's good to have you here and we love picking the best brains in the business world right here on Auto PFM. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on our very interesting conversation and I know you'll enjoy our next guest. She's an experienced leader in design with a history in the management in creative, business and healthcare industries. She is a director of a fashion brand called Be Serious. Her focus is on designing original handbags and accessories, but also with a strong social purpose. I'd like to welcome to the show for the first time, Vanessa Eldridge. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, your business, Be Serious, now it's B dot and it's Serious, S-I-R-I-U-S. How did you come up with that? Um, so the name is from uh, the previous owner of the business um, and it was about uh, a time in her life where she felt like she wanted to do something creative but also be a little bit serious at the same time um, and loved the constellation serious and that's how it came about. Well, you're going to laugh. As I've said the word be serious, my phone has t- spoken to me because my phone thought oh. I was saying, hey, Siri. It does it to me all the time, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So now, now you, how long have you had the business for? Um, about 18 months now. Right. Now, you said you bought it off somebody. Tell us the, the story of how that happened. Um, it was a sort of accidental, actually, um, um, I was at a bit of a time in my career, my healthcare career, where I um, wasn't very happy with where I was at, uh, in the, caught up in the bureaucracy. Um, and I, my husband actually bought me uh, a Be Serious handbag uh, as a little gift, a little pick-me-up. And um, when, when we went to the shop to buy it, the lady said to me that there wouldn't be any more of these bags because um, the business was closing down and... Um, so that night, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I decided to take a really ridiculous plunge um, and make 
contact with the the owner and um, offered to purchase the business. And so it wasn't part of my planning. It it, it just happened. Yeah. Now, now, when you go through that process of contacting the owner, how does the conversation go? Like, did you have a figure in mind or did you start the conversation with, have you ever thought of selling? How would that look like to you? How Did, did you get some advice? What was the process? Um, I, didn't, I didn't get any advice other than um, from talking to my, my husband and my family. Um, and I, I honestly didn't even consider the price. I had no idea whether it was going to be affordable for us. But because I was so passionate about it, um, I, I just felt like I had to to ask the question whether it was for sale and to explain to the lady that um, I loved the bags and I had multiple of them and I just couldn't bear to see it disappear. So it... Um, it, it just it evolved over multiple conversations with her, and then we finally started to talk about money. And um, it it was like it was in the stars. I, I, I don't know. It, it it just happened uh, to be right, the right fit. And so. what uh, what experts did you bring into the process? Accountants, um, business brokers of any sort. What was who did you get to help you do that sale? So once we were at a certain point, um, I got the uh, profit and loss statements over the last few years and then obviously um, sought the advice of an accountant to make sure I wasn't being completely naive. Um, and they um, you know, did an assessment and then gave us some information on whether they thought that it was going to be um, profitable and feasible to continue. Um, and then obviously I had to speak with a lawyer um, in regard to um, purchasing the intellectual property um, and the trademark, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and um, it was just a, a bit-by-bit process of involving different professionals as I needed to and then signing the contract and, and there we have it. <laughs> is, this, is this your first business that you've done for yourself? It is, yeah. Wow, that's uh, certain, certainly gutsy. And so that was, eight, that was 18 months ago. Did you write a business plan? Uh no, <laughs> no. I, I mean, I knew in my head what I wanted to achieve. Um, I got a lot of um, handover information from um, the previous owner, so she was very generous in the time that um, she gave to me in, in setting it all up. So, so I guess when I say no, I, 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 I did in a way where I had an idea of how much I would need to invest to then, then how much I would get back. Um, and and the processes along the way. So, so yes and no. Yeah, well, I think the the, the key takeaway message there, which I think is important for anyone listening and thinking about buying someone else's business, is to firstly create that good relationship, and then to ask them. What have you got that you can give me? And have you got a, have you got some sort of ongoing relationship with her? Um, I I did. I haven't spoken to her for. a some time now, mm. um, but she certainly offered um, to continue um, giving me advice um, and to to have input if I wanted it, um, and I utilised that as a resource for probably the first six months, um, and then I, even though I've had some, you know, terrible days or some days where I've really questioned what I was doing, I have resisted the urge to contact her because I... I'm also 
you know, an independent person and I want to make it my own and I thought I need to make my own decisions and, and have my own failures and successes and know that I've done them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good story. Now, I know as part of your business model, you uh, was to align to those who need help and you included a not-for-profit called Gen U. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, so in healthcare, um, my background is occupational therapy and management. Um, so I've always had a bit of a, a need to serve others. Um, so, so in creating my business and my... Um, setting up um, my my planning and my dispatching, my ordering, my um, um, you know, picking and packing the things. I felt that I needed. 